the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. With me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We have an exciting program for you today, but I ask please go get your Bibles if you can. You're going to need them. We're going to go to quite a few scriptures. Let me just be straight up with you. I'm not going to tell you something you don't know. America is in trouble. We're in trouble. This nation is being torn apart by political factions that have tremendous moral issues. I can't believe that socialism and communism have found root in America. And with that, every unclean and demonic thing. When Harry Potter came out, I wanted to know what he was going to say. And so I read. And it was literally teaching children how to cast witch spells. Then the news comes out that there are more witches in America now than there are Presbyterians. The gospel is being eviscerated by the world, by modernity. And in the face of that, the church has turned entertainment. 
And so while the world is encroaching morally on every foundation in America, the church is asleep, enjoying its social life and enjoying its religious rituals. How many, how many precious men I know who have their night of smoking their cigars and playing cards gambling with pennies yes these are key leaders in the Christian church in Washington DC or how many do I know who regularly every evening sit down with their beer and the television and go to sleep in that condition the church is being destroyed you may not see it it may look like it's very successful but right now, people are going to church primarily because they want the music entertainment. They want the pastor to tell some jokes. They like the social life. The church in America is being utterly eviscerated. It is being destroyed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the broadcast that we're bringing you today is a broadcast that will refocus and recenter on what we're needing to do as Christians if we're going to survive this onslaught. This Romanian man who is now past his reward, Dimitri Dunaman, he said the Lord told him that California would burn. Well, California's burning, and it's no accident that paradise was burned first. Breaks my heart. The tragedy of it. But it's nothing compared to what's coming. The day will come when California will disappear. The judgment of God is on this nation. So I don't come lightly to you today. I come with a heart that has been crying out before God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And even as I say that, I know some of you are offended by that because you've been taught lies. You've been taught that there's no longer any work for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come with his gifts, America will be utterly destroyed and the church will burn in this country. It's time to wake up. So today we have a broadcast, a very sober broadcast, that gives an overarching structure for what God's plan is in this nation and for his church. I want you to listen carefully. My sweetheart, Alexandra, came to these astute observations, and she's going to share this with us. beginning in the book of Genesis. Now, before she begins, I'd like to pray. Oh, Lord, the sin is so great. The casualness, the coldness of heart. Lord, if you don't come in mighty power and bring a revival, we're going to be destroyed and the church will be completely burned Lord, I plead your mercy. 
I plead, Lord, that you would raise up men and women who understand the times, like Issachar. Men and women who will speak faithfully the word, who will not play or tickle the ear, but will speak an unvarnished, straight, honest word out of Scripture that will encourage us to get right with Jesus and fulfill what we have been called to fulfill. Lord, this time for sleep is past. You said to the disciples, could you not even watch and pray for one hour? And no, they went to sleep. But Lord, that was before the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. Lord, it's time for us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. It's time to turn from the way of darkness to the light. And so I plead today that as we share this incredible gospel message, that your Spirit will quicken it to our hearts and to our ears, causing us to respond in very specific ways to what you've called us to, Jesus. Lord, it's time for the church, for me, to anguish in prayer before your throne and be filled with your power to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Lord, thank you, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Now, what Alexandra is going to share with you is an overarching structure of what God has called us to. It's not new. It started in the book of Genesis. It has been fulfilled in the cross. But listen, and then I'll ask you to respond. This message is called God's Commission and Provision Restored in Christ. That's God's Commission and Provision Restored in Christ. We often speak of the gospel in terms of redemption or restoration. We speak of Christ's redemptive work. Now, what does that mean? When we actually try to come down practically with that, we find Christians kind of falling at different places along the spectrum. So we, for example, on this broadcast, teach that part of that redemption is a present overcoming of your sin, freedom from sin now, not when you die. So we don't say, well, you're just bound in sin forever until you die, and then you'll be freed from your sinful nature. We don't teach that. We teach that Christ has the power now and is willing now to release you from your sin. Now, what does that belief come out of? That belief comes out of a bigger picture, which I'm going to share today. This bigger arc of looking at first God's creation and God's creation in particular of Adam and Eve and the job that he gave them, which was to govern his earth. Then we come to the fall where they forfeited that. We find humanity in a horribly lost and depraved condition until the time of Christ. And then we find in Christ that restoration of the image of God in each of us. And with that includes, we now can again enter into the work of God with God. We have a commission restored to us. And with that, God's provision is restored to us. So this is what I'm going to share today. That's the big picture. So let's look at how this is described 
in the scriptures. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 1. Now in Genesis chapter 1, we find God creating the world in six days. And you'll notice that at each point after God creates something, he says that it was good. So for example, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Now we come to verse 10. This is the, now the third day of creation. God named the dry land earth and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. God let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. And God saw how good it was. Now this continues in verse 18 again, after God creates the sun and the moon and the stars to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness, God saw how good it was. So we see that the goodness of God is linked to creation. If God did not know the difference between good and evil, this creation account would probably not have even occurred in the first place. There is something essential in creation that we need a kind of discernment to know how to create something good. Now let's look at the creation of mankind. This is in Genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. So notice in God's intention, before he actually even created us, his intention in creating us was so that we would take charge of everything that he had already made up until this point. His intention in creating humanity was that we would take charge of the fish, the birds, the livestock, the earth, everything that lived on the earth and that we would be made in his own image to do this verse 27 god created humanity in god's own image in the divine image god created them male and female god created them god blessed them and said to them be fertile and multiply fill the earth and master it this word master is sometimes translated govern, sometimes translated subdue. He elaborates, take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made, and it was supremely good. So what I want to point out here, God begins first, the first thing God does after he creates mankind is he blesses them. 
it says verse 28 god blessed them and this is the blessing of god it has two parts the first is be fertile and multiply fill the earth and master it so this is the commission from god which adam and eve received the second part of the blessing is the provision to do that commission and it immediately follows it's the very next verse so god tells them to govern or subdue the earth then god said i now give you all the plants to be your food so we see the blessing of god includes first the commission which in this case was to basically be a steward over everything that god had made and then secondly everything that they need in order to do that included in that word subdue in the hebrew is the sense of tame so literally what god was saying is you have the garden of eden you see this beautiful home that i've made for you now go make all of the earth look like the garden of eden turn the earth into a garden there are a few more things i want to say about this provision so first of all the provision had already been created before adam and eve were created the plants the trees the fruit everything they were to control the animals they had already been created but god had not yet given it to them until this commission came now i also want to point out that god created both of them to work together in this commission he didn't just create one human being and leave that person to try to do this work all by themselves. That would have probably been somewhat discouraging, hard. They probably wouldn't have been very happy. So God created two people to work together as equals for God, and he created them in the marriage relationship. So they were not only to be working together, but they were to have this the closest intimacy possible between two human beings while they were doing that work. So they didn't just have food, clothing, shelter. They well they weren't wearing clothing, but they didn't just have, you know, the basic necessities. They also had they had love for each other. They had someone to work with them. They had fellowship with God. So this provision really encompassed a lot more than just food and water. They also had eternal life. You'll recall that there was the tree of life in the middle of the garden, which God told them to eat from. And by eating of this tree of life, the bodies in which they lived would not age, would not become sick, would not break, wouldn't suffer. And they would live forever with love for each other and with God, governing over God's creation. So this is how God created us to be, and this is how it was working until the deception came. Now we find the deception in Genesis 3, verse 4. The snake, or the serpent, said to the woman, You won't die, that is, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruits and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
So what happened here, the serpent succeeded in getting Adam and Eve's mind off of the commission. So instead of filling the earth, instead of being stewards over what God had created, the temptation that he succeeded in getting them to do was instead of being stewards over what God had created, he got them to think, well, now I can be the creator. And as we just saw in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, that's why the knowledge of good and evil was essential to that. They could not truly be creators like God who created everything good if they did not know the difference between good and evil. So we won't dwell too much on this today, but I want to highlight that what the key thing that happened here was they abandoned the commission that God had given them. They abandoned the commission that God had given them. They no longer wanted to be stewards over God's creation, but they wanted to become their own creators. They wanted to become like God. They wanted to be the ones to determine what was good or evil. So they were literally saying, we want to become God and we want to create as we choose. And so we need this hidden knowledge so that we can be like God. Unfortunately, the devil tricked them because the devil knew the difference between good and evil, but the devil could not create. Yes, only the the power to create only comes from God himself. Only God has life in himself. And so this deception immediately caused them to be naked, ashamed, hiding, so, as we said, as I said, there's a lot of different things we could read into this, but right now I'm focusing just on this commission and provision aspect. So, when Adam and Eve abandoned this commission and they decided to eat of this tree, they also lost their provision. They lost eternal life. We find this recorded in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. God spoke to the man. He said, Because you listened to your wife's voice and you ate from the tree that I commanded, don't eat from it. Cursed is the fertile land because of you. In pain you will eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you even as you eat the field's plants. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land since from it you were taken. You are soil or dust to the soil you will return. Now, this is rather dramatic. So what we see here, God is first of all acknowledging that their work is no longer going to be to fill the earth and govern it or master it. Instead, their work is now going to be with sweat and suffering just to produce something out of the ground that will allow them to survive. And then in the end, their bodies will die and return to the dust. So they no longer had the calling to fill and to govern God's earth. They no longer had everything they needed freely given to them by God. And instead they were cursed so that their work wasn't the work of God, but was the work of just surviving. Now this condition prevailed on the earth after the fall, and it still prevails today among the lost and sinners. In sin, we have no commission from God and no provision from God. If we don't work, we don't eat. 
I want to take this another step. It's shortly after this, we don't know how many years. It may have been a thousand years. We don't know for certain. But God finally looked down on the face of the earth, and instead of the earth being subdued, instead of it being tamed and created into a garden, it had literally become a hellhole filled with constant violence, filled with every kind of pain and anguish, filled with every kind of wickedness. In other words, when the commission is not fulfilled, it is removed. Now Satan is free to come and do whatever he wants to do in this space, and we see clearly what he has done. Until finally God says, I'm grieved that I made man. And in that grief, he makes the decision that he's going to destroy utterly the earth. And so we have the great flood. But even after the great flood comes, the commission and the provision are not restored. Instead, God says, okay, let's go down to the ziggurat that they are creating on the plain of Shinar, the Tower of Babel. Let's confuse their language so they can't talk to each other in the same way. They can't plan together in the same way. Let's slow them down. Now, out of that stream comes Abraham. And God chooses a man and makes a covenant with him and we begin to see just the first inkling that God will once more bless the earth. But now for the next 2,000 years, there will not be a blessing. There will be utter wickedness and confusion and darkness. We come to the New Testament and we find that this curse on Adam and Eve from the from the fall is broken. Galatians 3:13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written everyone who was hung on a tree is cursed. Now, I don't want to just tell you to believe that verse, but I want to actually show you in the gospel of Matthew and also in a little bit of Luke that Jesus himself actually said that this commission and provision were both restored in him. So what we're going to see here is that everything that Adam and Eve forfeited, that they gave up, that they lost through disobedience to God, we can now once again have those things in this present time in Jesus. Okay, let's, let's hold just a minute. I want to go a little bit slower that you could clearly hear what Alexandra is saying. And I'm going to come back to the third chapter of Galatians, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So that is whether you want to be righteous or not. All of mankind is under a curse. And that curse came directly out of what was just shared in Genesis, where the commission was lost and the provision to fulfill that was lost. 
and the earth became utterly wicked. Then God brought Abraham, and he brought Moses, and he established his law on the earth. But the law only brought a curse. Because they were not able to live up to the standard of the law. It says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified or made righteous before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. And then, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So, as as Alexandra now walks us through the New Testament Gospels, talking about the restoration and the redemption, let's be very clear, it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It does not come by the law. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Now again, what we're going to see, what I'm going to share, is that Jesus spoke specifically in the same order as we find in Genesis, first of the commission and second of the provision for us as well as to fulfill that commission. We find this first in the Lord's Prayer. This will be very familiar to you, but you've probably not quite thought about it in this way. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Jesus said, Pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. So let's stop there. What we have here, we have bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on the earth as it's done in heaven. This is the commission. This is the commission restored to us. Mm -hmm. Jesus is telling us to pray this way because we are to now actively engage in the work of God on the earth. Notice it says, bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth earth as it is in heaven so heaven is not simply some place we go after we die it's not simply some kind of internal mystical or ecstatic experience but it is the will of god being done on the earth just as it is done in heaven so we think about this very practically okay we know that in heaven there is no lying we know that in heaven there is no cheating we know that people aren't hurting each other in heaven. So if we pray this prayer, we are asking that those things would be true on the earth, that the earth would be redeemed in such a way that we all speak truth to each other, that we speak that truth in love, that we are no longer hurting each other in any way, that we are honoring and respecting each other. And immediately following this is the provision. Give us the bread we need for today or give us this day our daily bread. So this is incredible because what we have now, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. 
Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is here. So this commission and provision is restored to us in Christ so that we can take up again that original commission that was given to humanity, that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. So God's fundamental plan for humanity has not changed. What has changed is that we had this long interval of sin. And what has also changed is that it's now through Christ that we are able to fulfill this commission. Now, Jesus spoke about this even more explicitly just a few verses later. This is still Matthew chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 25. Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? Gentiles, or unbelievers, long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now again, notice in this passage, Jesus is directly linking the commission of God with the provision of God. So the long section, the rhetorical section of look at the, you know, look at the birds, look at the grass, that's Jesus urging us up to faith on the provision aspect and then it really climaxes in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus again combines the commission and the provision. He says, instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the condition here of receiving everything that we need in terms of food, clothing, shelter, the condition for that is desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. As, and as we just read in the Lord's Prayer, he directed us to pray for God's kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is a present coming of the kingdom of God. We find later in the Gospel of Matthew that this is accomplished through preaching the gospel to every creature. Why? Because through the gospel, as people repent and as they then enter into the kingdom, they are no longer engaging in sin. They are no longer engaging in destructive behavior that destroys themselves and that destroys others, that destroys relationships with God and with one another. But instead, when people obey the command to repent and believe the gospel, 
They now love others as themselves. They work actively to bring God's kingdom, which means to bring peace, unity, harmony, joy, and love. And this is exactly what we find when we read accounts of revival. For example, in the Welsh revival, very famous revival in Wales from 1905 or so to 1906, in the Welsh revival, crime completely stopped. There were no cases to be heard in court. The judge had nothing to do. The, the police officers had no calls because the revival had so changed the hearts of the men and the women and the children living there. The bars closed. They, there was, as I said, all crime stopped, theft stopped, violence stopped. And more than that, People made restitution for the wrongs they had done. Old debts were paid. Old wrongs were righted. There was weeping, reconciliation. There was singing in the villages day and night as whole families gathered together to worship and praise God. There was also a warehouse, a government warehouse, and it became so filled with things that people had stolen that they finally announced, please don't bring us any more goods that you've stolen. We give them to you. Restitution was being made on every level. It was the power of God. So that is a very real practical picture of what we're talking about when we talk about God's kingdom coming on the earth. Now, Jesus didn't just preach these things, but he also had his disciples act on them before he left the earth. And he gave us these stories as an encouragement to us. In Luke 22, verse 35, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he asks the disciples, Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without a wallet, bag, or sandals, you didn't lack anything, did you? And they said nothing. So you'll recall what he's speaking of here is earlier, he sent out, he sent out the 12 and he sent out the 70 to go preaching, healing the sick, casting out demons. And what's incredible about this is we read the story and it doesn't quite hit us that Jesus wasn't actually with them. Jesus sent them out. That means Jesus stayed where he was and they went out by themselves with what? They didn't have an extra wallet. They didn't have money. They didn't have a checkbook. They didn't have an extra pair of shoes. They basically went out with the clothes on their back and the word of Jesus that wherever they went, they would find someone who would take them into their home, who would feed them meals every day, and who would essentially support them while they healed the sick, cast out demons, and preached the gospel in that city. So the disciples had had hands-on experience with this principle. They had had hands-on experience with being commissioned or sent out by Jesus to do the work of bringing God's kingdom. And they had had hands-on experience that they were fully provided for while they did that work. Let me add here, too, that this being provided for, it also includes the people we are reaching out to. So it's not merely our own needs but it's the needs of those we're ministering to. We see this, for example, in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. 
where the disciples each had a basket of leftovers to eat themselves, and everybody who had come had enough food to eat. So what this means practically is, okay, let's say that you are reaching out to somebody who doesn't have enough money to get their car repaired. This is actually a situation that we're in currently. Well, we're praying for that person, for them to have the money to get their car repaired, either by God giving it to us, God giving it to them directly. We're not going to just, excuse me, we're not going to just say, well, I don't have the money, so I can't do it. No. God's provision is for the redemption of humanity. That is God's intention in Christ, is to redeem all of humanity from the curse. And there is plenty on the earth for everybody, and God owns all of it. So if we simply align ourselves with God's will and act accordingly, God can, through Christians, reach everybody in the world. There is one more example I wanted to point to. This is a little bit different. This is in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. You'll recall that Jesus was asked if he paid the temple tax, and he said yes. Then Jesus spoke to Peter first, What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect taxes? From their children or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Jesus said to him, Then the children don't have to pay. But just so we don't offend them, go to the lake, throw out a fishing line and hook, and take the first fish you catch. When you opened its mouth, you will find a shekel coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. And that is exactly what Peter did. Now what I share the story for is I want you to, I want you to see that Jesus was free from this curse or from this spirit of having to work to earn. He was free. He was free to say, go catch a fish and there will be a coin in its mouth. That's remarkable. And God calls us to be just as free in Jesus. Jesus was free to do what? He was free so that he could be about his father's business, so that he could walk around wherever God told him to go, work miracles, love others, forgive sins, in a word, bring the kingdom. And God's intention is for us to walk and to claim and to live in that same freedom. Now, I just want to put a word of warning here. The commission and the provision must always be looked at together. Now, sorry, there's one more thing I want to say before I go to this. We also have the promise of eternal life restored to us in Christ. Now, just as Adam and Eve had the tree of life in the garden, we have restored to us in Christ that eternal life, and we have the new bodies, something probably similar to what Adam and Eve had in the garden, bodies that will not age or suffer and we will live in a loving peace with God and with the other saints forever. That's in the world to come. Okay, to return to this point now, though, of the commission and the provision, it's very important that we always keep those two together. Let me explain why. 
If we focus on just the provision, in other words, if we just want God to meet our physical needs, but we don't take on the commission, we will very likely not receive the provision. Now again, let's look at the promise in Matthew 6.33. There is a condition attached to receiving the clothing and the food. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the condition. And if you do this, all these things, the food, the clothing, the shelter, will be given to you. So you can't stand on this Matthew 6.33 promise without meeting the condition. You can't ask God to provide you with food and clothing without seeking first his kingdom and righteousness and expect him to answer. Now, God may at times answer in his mercy and his pity, but he has not promised to do that. And I think this is one reason why so many say, I prayed and God didn't answer. On the other hand, we can also invite financial disaster into our life if we misunderstand this principle. We may find ourselves becoming bitter, angry at God, or even making disastrous life choices because we think we have to wait for a word from God before we do anything, and we deliberately don't do things that we know would help us survive. So left unchecked and allowed to worsen, this can end up in a situation of, for example, one person I knew who was educated, experienced, and qualified, but who did not work and who was homeless because he said God didn't tell him to get a job. He was waiting on God. That's not what the scriptures teach. So don't go into that pitfall. Now, the other thing that can happen is we may focus on the commission without believing that God will provide. Now, this amounts to unbelief, and ultimately it will hinder the forward progress of God's kingdom. For example, People say things like, I would like to give to missions, I'd like to help the persecuted church, I'd like to sponsor a child, I'd like to help pay for my friend's utilities, I'd like to help my neighbor pay rent, but I don't have enough money. So I'll just do what I can with what I have, and God can't or doesn't expect me to do any more. Well, this is equally disastrous, and it amounts to contentment or tolerance with evil. It's equivalent to saying, it doesn't really bother me if you can't get to work and you lose your job. Now, God's kingdom is not going to come on the earth with that kind of thinking. And keep in mind, too, that Jesus told us to sell what we have in order to give to those in need. This is to be a very radical service to God and to others, even if it means selling things to help bring about God's kingdom. So, in summary, praise God and let's rejoice that Christ has broken the curse for us. We are no longer under the curse of the law, no longer under the curse that came upon Adam and Eve at the fall. But we can now enter into God's commission, his provision for that commission, and into eternal life, just as Adam and Eve did before the fall. I encourage you to take on this commission to love your neighbor as yourself, to preach the gospel to every creature in your words as well as your actions, 
and to trust God to provide for you while you go about that work. Now, it's also clear that he may send you to a government job or he may send you to a construction job or he may send you to some other kind of work and he may flow provision to you through that work. But don't make the mistake of thinking that that allows you to not hold first and foremost the commission of God to you as a Christian. Whatever work you do, you should be free from that spirit of having to work to survive. You should be there because you know that God called you there and you are there first and foremost to serve him and to not compromise on that. So when we go to work, we don't go to work to earn money. We go to work so that we can bring about what God has commissioned us to bring about, which is to make disciples of all men. And let me turn just very quickly to that commission. Do you know where it's found? It's in the book of Matthew. You can hear me turning the pages. <laughs> let me read it for you. It's the 28th chapter of Matthew. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth. This is verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It does not say go and have people say a little sinner's prayer and then abandon them. No, it's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why is it important that Jesus is with us to the end of the age? Because he's the one who sends the Holy Spirit. Yes, and this is an element we don't want to leave out as we speak about God's provision. God's provision doesn't just include our temporal needs, but it includes what Jesus here calls authority yes. or power on heaven and on earth. That is an integral, essential part of the provision that God has promised us in Christ. In other words, he has promised to be with us from now until the end of this present world to be with us in power and authority as we go about the Great Commission so that men and women will believe, that they will repent, that they will become disciples. He'll give us the love and the wisdom and the power to know how to raise them in the faith, how to teach them, how to nurture them so that they can then be sent out and do the same thing. So it's very key that we get the whole picture here. God has not left out anything at all that we need to truly reclaim this world from the power of sin and of the devil. It is God's will, and the power of God is there now for every single one of you listening to be freed from your sin and to be restored to the image of God. Now, it's not surprising that as we have come to this understanding and as we've been praying about it, that suddenly offerings for this radio broadcast have dried up for two weeks only one offering has come in 
And we're saying, Lord, we're standing by faith. We're not going to walk in fear. We're standing by faith that you are with us and the provision will be there as we faithfully lift up your name, Jesus, and do the work of the gospel. So we've not cut back. We're moving forward. We're trusting Jesus to move in your hearts to give as he prompts you to give. Now, also at a very personal level, suddenly everything dries up. And we don't ask you for personal support, but just to let you know that when you begin to walk in this kind of position with God, he will test you. The devil will try to block you, and you're going to have to stand faithfully on the commission God has called you to, knowing that the provision will be there. The job, the offering, whatever it is that's required, he will do it. Well, we've enjoyed sharing this with you. Any last word that you'd like to share, Alexandra? I encourage you to visit our webpage. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. Today's title, again, was God's Commission and Provision, and we might add eternal life restored in Christ. This is very exciting. I hope that you are excited and encouraged to fully step into the commission, to the calling that God has for you, and to trust him to provide for you in every way, physically and spiritually, as you go about that work. And you can write to us at... The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to call us at 703-489-1785. You can give online by going directly to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We just ask that you not go in debt to give. We've had a wonderful time together. We pray God's blessing for you. We'll talk to you soon. Great joy with great joy. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.